Hi everybody, Michael Davis here. Welcome to Bone to Pick. We are coming to you today from New City, New York and Hip Bone Music Headquarters. We are indeed very fortunate to have one of the most successful and in-demand trumpet players on the international jazz scene with us today, the great Joe Magnarelli. Um, Mags, as he is affectionately known in the trade, um, has uh, played with a myriad of artists. He cut his teeth early on with the bands of Lionel Hampton, Jack McDuff, Toshiko Akiyoshi, Harry Connick Jr. He has released 12 CDs as a solo artist, the new one coming this fall. Uh, his extraordinary resume as a sideman includes work with the Vanguard Jazz Orchestra, Maria Schneider, Jane Monheit, the Tom Harrell Big Band, George Gruntz, John Hendricks, Jimmy Cobb, Baritone Titans, Nick Brignola, and Gary Smullyan, the Carnegie Hall Jazz Orchestra, Walt Weiskopf, Don Sebesky, Joe Williams, Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra. I can keep going, but uh, we'll stop there for now. You get the idea. Uh, one of the great trumpet players anywhere in the world. He is on the faculty at Juilliard and Temple in Philadelphia. Um, I'm honored that uh, he's coming on today. Uh, he's a friend for many years, and I've been a, a lifelong fan of his playing. So, uh, Joe, welcome to Bonapick. Thanks for uh, making Mike. the trip up to New City. Thanks for having me. Hey, let's talk about... Um, you, you grew up in Syracuse, and you have, I, I've always known about your association with Syracuse, a very rich town in terms of music and yeah. history and, and what, what have you. Maybe, uh, maybe we'll start, uh, start at the beginning with what, what made you get into music and the trumpet and, uh, well, and all that. Yeah, I was thinking about it when you sent me the questions, <laughs> and, and uh, I, I can't really remember a time when there was a decision. I just was always a musician. Mm. And uh, I can remember my parents bought a piano when I was about, well, actually, my brother and sister played accordion, oh, and they okay. hated it. <laughs> and my sister is, is we're closest in age, and when she finally just, you know, would cry and go upstairs because she didn't want to practice anymore, I would sneak in and play. And so that was kind of, and then they bought a piano, and I started playing piano. And in sixth grade, I took up the trumpet and guitar. And I had two very good teachers. My guitar teacher was very good. And my trumpet teacher in sixth grade was a guy by the name of Jack Palmer. I don't know if you're familiar mm -hmm. with him. Mm -hmm. But he was a New York trumpet player. And his wife became ill. He was originally from Rome. They were both from Rome. So they kind of came up for her to kind of finish out, you know, be with her family and all that. And uh, his first day of ever teaching parochial school was my first day of, of sixth mm. grade. Wow, okay. And he took out a trumpet and he played... And I said, okay, I, I want to do that. Because he just played this high note and he shook it. And I said, no, that's the right, that's it, you know. Because I had been, I had heard trumpet players and I knew good ones. And he was, you know, so that's kind of how I fell in love with the trumpet mm. right there. And I was his sidekick for two years while he was in town. Wow, that's great. Yeah, yeah. It's always great hearing what the mentors that the shape well, that all was, of us. You know, was, so, I can still remember so that day. Important. It was such a beautiful thing to watch him play. You know? yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about your uh, college years. I was fascinated in reading your bio. You uh, spent a little time at Onondaga uh, Community College, yeah. and you were a choir director at that yes, time at the church. So yeah. tell us a little bit about that. And Well, it's a little history behind my church thing. Okay. When I was in 7th, 8th, and ninth grade, I played guitar in uh, a Catholic church. And, and at that time, that was probably... Uh, 75, 74, 73, 76, something like that. And um, at that time, the Catholic Church had just started uh, introducing new music into the services. Mm. Now, I'm not really a religious person, don't get mm -hmm. me wrong, but, you know, that was the only place to get a gig at that time for me, you know. <laughs> so I played guitar in the folk group there for three years. So I had a lot of experience in church, and, you know, there's pressure in a church. It's a different, you know, it's a sure. little different scene, you know, than a professional. So... 
um, I had met this preacher on a, on a train ride uh, back home from New York City when I was a senior in high school. And he told me he was opening up a church, or he was taking over a church on the south side of Syracuse. And, and I gave him my number, blah, 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 told him I played piano. And the first, so he, so he hired me as his choir director. Wow. But let, let's put it in perspective. <laughs> the first service was him, his wife, his two daughters, and two very beautiful soul older ladies. That was the service, and yeah. I played. But every week he'd get a couple more people, and by two or, two years later he had a you know the church was full. Wow. So I did. Okay. I saw him through that period. But then it got to the point where I was about to go to school, and he needed a real organist. Okay. I was playing piano. Uh -huh. So a, a woman by the name of Minnie Hester took my place, and, and I but I played. That was called Central Baptist Church, and I played there uh, every Sunday. And I directed the choir for for a lot of that time um, when the you know when they had enough people for the choir, from about eighteen to about twenty. Hmm, yeah, okay. Yeah, and that was a great experience for me. Yeah, I bet this. Uh, that was great. And they had a basketball court downstairs. And and for one one of those summers, I'm not sure if it was the first or second one. Uh, his name was Reverend Ganey. I don't know if I mentioned that. He set it up where I could work for the city and get paid as a parks whatever through the park store because his his gymnasium was part of the parks okay so i was actually watching the gym downstairs playing some ball and going upstairs playing piano it was a great <laughs> it was really great for me it was great and you have a love of basketball right Are you at that time i was really playing basketball a lot. Uh -huh. i played for Onondaga community college i played for my high school our high school team was good we had two guys that played in the nba off my high school uh you know, so we, I was, yeah, I was heavily involved in basketball at that time. Yeah, yeah awesome. Yeah, I'm yeah. a lifelong Golden State Warrior fan, so we're well, finally having some good times Tonight's here. a good night. Yeah, man. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I, you went to uh, SUNY Fredonia and got your Bachelor of Arts? Uh, uh, liberal Arts. Yeah, liberal yeah, Arts, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what was that experience like for you when you were there? Well, that was a great experience because I came from, I, I did a year and a half at OCC, which, which I tried to play as much trumpet as I could, but it was very hard to get into a practice routine. Uh, from playing basketball and, and also studying. And um, I went to Berkeley for a semester and I studied with Lou Mucci, mm -hmm. and that was great. Mm -hmm. But when I went to Fredonia, it was kind of like the first time in my life where I was just kind of at a school where I could just go to class and hang out and have fun. You know, it was, mm -hmm. it was the pressure was a lot lower. I wasn't playing basketball. I got cut off the team, actually. Uh, I went there to play ball and I. I just didn't make the final cut, so that as that happened, that was tough to deal with. But in a way, it was good because basketball was over, and I could finally start to think about trumpet and music, uh, you know, on another level. And that was a great place to be because there was no jazz department. It was a good music school, right? But the jazz, the jazz band was a student-run thing. Okay. So there was nobody telling me how to play. Mm -hmm. It was just kind of everybody trying to play, you know, the right way, and so it was good. I, yeah. I dug that, you know. A lot of good, we were talking about before the interview, a lot of good players went there. Jeff Nelson comes to mind right away. Well, he was one in the, of the band. best yeah. trombone players yeah. anywhere. Yeah. Anywhere, yeah. And he yeah. was back then. Yeah. He was yeah. great. Yeah, he, yeah. You know, he was great. Yeah, he didn't, he doesn't, I mean, he's improved, obviously, and he's, you know, but but he was great then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, can, I can totally uh, see yeah, that yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you, you moved to New York really early on in your life, right? In the yeah. Mid, mid 80s? Well, 86, yeah. And what what I I know in looking at your bio you spent a lot of time with Lionel Hampton and Jack McDuff, I see several recordings with Toshiko's band. Um, what was that? Looking back on that time in your life, what was that like? For well, you? I came to New York playing Ain't Misbehaving. I had done about twenty weeks on the road. I, I got a just got lucky, and they they were coming through upstate New York, and I 
I auditioned for the gig and I got the gig and the conductor liked me where you know he's got to be and it was only five people in the in the band and four no five people in, including him five people in the band and five cast members hmm. so we oh, were wow. a tight-knit okay. group you know we got so he you know we so when the when the tour was over uh, about two months later he was going to do a 10-week run in, at the Darien Dinner Theater and he called me he said Joe if you want to come to New York come on and play these 10 weeks with us hmm. so I just packed up I moved to Brooklyn with some uh, friends that I had met on earlier uh, that lived in Brooklyn and I did the show for 10 weeks and I stayed in New York and that was it wow, and then awesome. I, I, I did a, a short stint with Chorus Line on the road for four or five months and then I came back and a month later, I went to a Lionel, audition, a Lionel Hampton audition, and that's that's the, I, how I got the gig. Oh, cool! Yeah, cool. yeah. How was the uh, some it's a lot of legendary stories uh, from Lionel Hampton's band uh, from folks over the years? How was it? For, well, your actually, experience? my favorite story. Well, I have a couple of favorite <laughs> stories, but, but really, my favorite story is the first minute I met him because I walked into Carol Studios, and you know, I'm I I, I was so green, man. I, I was you know, I came from Syracuse. It's, <laughs> you know, New York is just so many more levels, you know. And the first thing that I noticed, this is not the story, but the first thing I noticed is there was this trumpet player. I don't know if you knew him. It was, it was name was Al, um, oh, I can't believe I can't remember his name now. Al Bryant. Mm, no, he had played lead with um, uh, Ray Charles in the 60s, but now he okay. was playing third trumpet with Gates. And he was okay. a nice guy. He played. But I remember the first time I saw him, he was playing and he had the New York Post on his stand. And I thought to myself, what is that, you know? <laughs> but the other funny thing was when I walked in the room, I walked by uh, Lionel Hampton's vibes. And it was so funny because he only had like an octave because he had McDonald's, he had his coffee, he had some other stuff in the middle. Then over here he had his, he had his uh, you know, his, uh, his uh, toilet bag and he had another thing. So he had like a, he played his ass off, don't get me wrong, but it was right, just right. like, I was just like, wow, I see play, you know. And it was all kinds of, you know, ketchup on the vibes and stuff. So that was, that was a, it was awakening. But it came down to me and Philip Harper. There was a lot of trumpet players there. So me and Philip Harper are playing on this Rhythm Changes. And then, uh, I don't know, they just said, you want to make this gig Saturday night? And I said, yeah, then I, I was on the gig. And I thought I had, you know, I thought I had really like, oh, wow, Philip's a good player. And I got the gig over him. Wow, man. And two nights later, I went to see Art Blakey's band because I heard there was like a, maybe, you know, he was looking for, a, and Philip had the gig. So I said, like, well, go ahead, Philip. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that was, you know. And Philip, to this day, me and Philip are good friends, man. Oh, that's you know, cool. He's a great cat. Yeah, yeah awesome. And yeah. how about Jack McDuff? I mean, that must—that's a legend, another legendary well, gig. Right? That that gig also was very uh, lucky to get because the the guy that I moved in with in Brooklyn, his name was Andrew Beals, and he was playing alto with Jack at the time. Mm. So he had always told me, "Oh, I'm gonna get you on Jack's man." You know, I said, "Okay." So I did. I did a few times, and you know, it was like, "Okay, he's okay." Blah blah. But about the about maybe six months after subbing here and there and once in a while I got the gig mm. and then I did that for about a year and a half and that was basically four nights a week at Showman's two weeks a month that mm. was kind of the, the okay. vibe and then yeah. I went out of town with him once in a while but mostly the gig was at Showman's Cafe like Thursday or yeah Thursday or Wednesday through Saturday or Thursday through Sunday I forgot what it was and then uh, it was great man you know yeah. just Hitting with Jack, it was playing really, all the time. Yeah, too. yeah, that's yeah, a great experience. Very cool. I think that you and I met on Toshko's band yes. the first time at the we, Village we, Gate. Yeah, 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 yeah. Many years ago, and you know, I know uh, that was quite the band. You know, so many great players and uh, 
from Walt Weisskopf and Jim Snydero and uh, yeah, but that was the best trombone section. Well, with Conrad and uh, oh, and and Matt Fenders used to come in some. That was that was a good trombone. That That was uh, that was a hell of a trombone section. Yeah, absolutely. I had no idea until later in life. I'm like, wow, that was a hell of a trombone (laughs) section. I walked and actually remember the lead player was Kent something or oh, uh, Hart Smith. Hart Smith, right? He was good too, but he, he didn't last long. I mean. I, I mean, I think he was on the band for years, but when I got on, he only lasted another couple of months because something happened. I don't know. I don't want to go into it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Something. Uh, he was cool, though. He was cool. Yeah, he was yeah. Good guy. Strong yeah, player. Cool. Strong yeah, player. Yeah, yes, definitely. Well, let, let's jump ahead and talk about your solo career because I think more than anybody, people associate you with your own recordings and, yeah, and yeah. your own work as a soloist. Um, you like we mentioned in the intro, you have twelve CDs. You've got a new one coming out in the fall. But let's go back to your first CD, which came out in nineteen ninety four. Why not? Um, what was that like? What what caused you to get into the go in that direction? And it's pressure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, it wasn't a choice. I mean, like that was the only that was kind of the carrot, you know, because all the Jerry Teakins had a reputation at that time that he was looking for a new talent. And, uh, Jerry Teakins being the, the producer, the, the oh, guy, yeah. and um, I had done the trumpet competition, the Louis Armstrong thing, and Kenny Washington was in the house rhythm section, him and Peter actually, and although Kenny, I love Kenny, we're good friends today, but at that time, and he wasn't vibing me, but I felt like he didn't dig me, because, <laughs> okay. you know, he was serious, he was, yeah. you know, let's play, man, and I was thinking like, oh, this is, you know. But it turns out he had told Jerry about me and said, you know, there's one of the cast to consider, and then I had done a side mandate in 92. And that, that was a good date with Grant Stewart. Brad Meldow was on it, oh, okay. uh, and that was a very good date. So Jerry told me after the date, he said, I'm, I'm going to get you. And then 94, he finally did, or the end of 93, I forgot. But at, at that point, he recorded me, and uh, he picked the band. But it was a great band, Rini Rosnes, Eric Alexander, Kenny, and Peter Washington. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. Um, what... I was trying to figure out an intelligent way to ask this question, and I couldn't come up with anything, but... Talk about the journey of the twelve CDs. I mean, that's like it's—they don't happen all quickly. You know, that's a, a that's a career's worth for most people, and you're still going strong, obviously. Well, but. I feel like I didn't want to listen to the fast <laughs> eleven. I just want to keep going forward. You know. Yeah. But I guess what a, a part of the question is: How do you uh, approach planning and and preparing for a CD, or or is it more organic than that from your perspective? Well, I don't. I I. I, I all the planning is very quick because I've only done one CD where I've like initiated it. I've, I've produced it. Every other CD has been for a company. Mm-hmm. And usually how it works, I mean, you, you already know this, but you know, like they call you and they say, okay, let's do this. And who, who I'm, I'm thinking about using this guy, this guy, this guy. Well, no, I want to use this, you know, so that always goes on. So I've never really had the final say in all the bands that I've recorded with. It's always been the producer, except for the band that I, the one I produced. But saying that i've never had a problem with that because all the people that they've you know recommended to me are great players right right. so i tried to just you know see how i can fit in and how my music could ring and resonate with the guys that you know i was going to record but that's kind of my mindset you know Mm. the tunes Mm -hmm. you know like yeah so yeah it's interesting looking at uh i mean i have some of your cds and and uh and i'm familiar with many of them but not all of them and uh, in researching for this interview, I was looking at uh, the personnel that have played on the various records, and yeah. you know, it's the best players in the uh, yeah. In so New York. I mean, so it's like it's, yeah, you know, I, I couldn't do better than that, really. I mean, as far as yeah, so yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. what do you um, kind of another general question, but what do you look for in, in particularly in rhythm section players that you that you like that you this that 
you connect with somebody? What are the, the what are the well, elements that you look for musically? The, the first thing I guess would be um, playing the same rhythm as the drummer. Mm -hmm. In other words, my rhythm and the drums we we hear it the same way because I think rhythmically is is the way a CD stands the test of time. Not the notes that everybody plays. But the rhythm of the, you know, the rhythm of the music is what gets people. So I, I, I always think about the drums first and how I can hook up with the drummer and is it the right drummer? And the bass player is more like, does he get along with the drummer? Like in other words, you know, what I mean, the mm -hmm. bass. I'm not, you know, I'm not so concerned with his style or blah blah blah. But mostly, does the him and drummer can they get a groove? And then the pianist, of course, I'm into, you know people's solos and how they play but more importantly i think it's how he comps mm -hmm. for me a like a pianist like does he open me up mm -hmm. you know because um, there's so many ways you can play chords and uh so many different sounds you can get from the same you know uh you know foundation of a chord you can get many sounds so you know i because I, I, I play piano so i not, i'm not professional but i play enough to know you know and uh, so that's kind of what I look for, like mo mm -hmm. mostly the comping and, and how we, they can open up the harmony. Mm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And what about in terms of horn players? I know you've worked a lot with like Steve Davis, and I think the combination of you guys is yeah, we have, fabulous. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, it's just fun, incredible. Yeah. Uh, and I've, and you guys are coming out, to me, coming from a hard bop kind of uh, yeah. vocabulary, and it just works so beautifully together. But um, what do you look for in other horn players for the small group setting? Just musicality. Hmm. No bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I don't have the chops to play bullshit. I mean, I do play bullshit, but I'm saying I don't have the chops <laughs> to go over the top and all that stuff, you know? So if I'm with a, a horn player that, that has those kind of chops and you're always going for that kind of over-the-top thing, I, I don't think we really sound good together. As far as, you know, I, I can do a sideman maybe, but like as a leader, it's, you know, it's a whole other thing when you're a leader. It's a lot more pressure and mm. you have to play more. Mm-hmm. So I look for that, like musicality and, you know, Steve, Eric, Alexander, Grant Stewart, Oates, those yeah. kind of guys are just, you know, like real strong, melodic players. Yeah. You know, I feel like I can gel with those kind of guys, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk about a little bit about big band playing versus small group playing. Not versus, but the, the two elements. Um, you've certainly done a lot of both, that's for sure. Yeah. Do, do you... Do you Put a different hat on when you're playing in the big man as opposed to a small group, or what? How, well, do you, how do you look at it? Yeah, yeah. There's a different hat, but you know, big band. There's different responsibilities. Uh, uh, of course, first and foremost, following the lead player, and you know, trying to play the his concept of whatever music it is. And of course, the more you play with somebody, the easier it gets, and the better they are, the easier it gets. Also, mm -hmm. but you know, that kind of thing in a big band, and uh, also. I probably don't practice as much before the gig on a small group as I do in a big band. Like if I'm going, like I used, I don't sub at the Vanguard as much anymore because I have another gig on Mondays. Now I've been doing, but like I did the Vanguard for many years as a sub. Mm -hmm. And uh, man, I would, before the, you know, like around seven o'clock at night, I would just start practicing mm. and playing, you know, playing with a bird record, playing, you know, just playing with as many records as I can. Because I felt when I went down to the gig, when it came time for me to solo, I had no time to warm up into the solo. Mm -hmm. I had to be, so, but I would never do that on a small group gig because I feel like that's too much, you take too much out of your chops for the, you know, for the, in the course of a night, you need those, you know, that, that those notes, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. so I wouldn't practice as much. As in a small group, I might just go put my harmony mute in before the gig and play a few melodies that we're going to play, and I feel pretty confident. But my thing is more like 
make sure the day before of a gig, make sure I get my practicing in. Mm -hmm. That's kind mm -hmm. of my thing, you know what I mean? Like, make sure, sure I to go through all my things and then, you know, as long as I, you know, just play a little bit before the gig and all that stuff, I, I, I seem I can go into a, a small group gig and feel okay. You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I couldn't agree more, especially from the, the physicality of the brass perspective. Yeah. You know, you got to be, you yeah. know, it's the day before you got to be yeah. but, putting some time in. But a, if I'm going to a big band gig, I will practice a lot before the, the, the hit. Wow, just to, really, just to get loose, because, you know, usually I don't... You know, I, I, 99.9% .9 of the time, I'm not really there to play any high notes. I mean, I have to right. play maybe up to a C sharp or a D once in a while, that, you know, but it's nothing that I you have to like sustain up there, you know. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, it's a different, I just get into a different head. When, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting, and in, in great lead players that I talk to, your name always comes up as one of the great section players. Same really? as, same uh -huh. as like a. Scott Scott Wenholt is another well, one that came up, and he's a yeah. great jazz player, but you guys know how to play in the section and you don't bring this you know you bring a different set of tools really to to the approach yeah. to section playing it's really interesting the difference with scott though is that he could actually stand there and play lead he doesn't want to tell anybody that, yeah right but i know he can because <laughs> yeah. i've seen him i've heard him do it very well but yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I i'm glad to be associated with him i'm very happy yeah but actually to be honest man when i started subbing in the band uh it was you know Drews and Mazzella were there, right? And they were excellent section players. Mm -hmm. Like Drews played, you know, like he really played. So I learned a lot. I, I learned that there's a high standard for that, you know, because other bands I had been in, guys weren't really, wasn't the same level of of you know concentration and and not accepting any mistakes. Right. You know, I right. mean mistakes happen, of course, but you know, you know, so that was good training. Yeah. You know, I think yeah. I think that I mean, in addition to unbelievably swinging band, it's like the precision yeah. is is yeah. there with that band. You got to come at it from that perspective. Yeah, I mean, with Toshiko's band, the music was so hard. It was you know her her, her writing was more like Bud Powell on paper. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it was really about just trying to make the part a mm -hmm. lot of the times. Mm -hmm. Where the Vanguard, the music laid a little you know easier, rhythmic wise, and uh, so you could kind of like really start to you know as a section really sound good and you know like mm -hmm. lock into some stuff you know yeah 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 cool um i gotta ask you the the uh, the proverbial brass question about equ equipment that you're playing on i get the emails now which we appreciate everybody writing in um but it's like, hey ask him what he plays but you know so so anyway tell us what the what your setup is these days well i play a bobby shoe 810z Okay. Yamaha, mm -hmm. and I play a 7S Giardinelli, old Giardinelli mouthpiece. Wow, okay. Yeah, yeah. What's that equivalent to in a in Bach world? Probably a 7D. Okay. Something like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. But the backboard, uh, from what I'm told on that mouthpiece, fits my Yamaha. And I think they're right because it feels good. Okay. How long have you been on, the, on Bobby's horn? 2011. Okay. So seven years. What yeah. were you before that? What I played you a Con Constellation, and I played about seven of them. And uh, I could never find the one. But I mean, you know, those are good horns, but yeah. I finally gave up. But yeah, I played a Con Constellation from 2000 to like, yeah, 2011, like 11 years. Mm. I played a Martin Committee for a second, and before that, it was a Bach. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about your uh, the teaching side of your career. Um, I know you're on a faculty at Juilliard and at Temple, which to me, uh, talk about a great trumpet faculty at Temple between Terrell and Nick yeah. and uh, John yeah. Swana and yourself. Pretty, uh, And also I, Mike Natale. And Mike, of course, right. It's, <laughs> Actually, Mike's a bad dude. Yeah, 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 yeah totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. Um, 
Well, just to end your and you're active, of course, uh, around the world as a guest artist uh, with various programs. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about about your teaching and how how much of uh, how big a part of your career is is your is the teaching side of things. Well, it's a big part because for two reasons, obviously, because you know it equates to gigs and you know working. And the other thing is, I, I feel like as musicians, our lives are so blessed that we need to you know give back you know mm -hmm. to younger you know because mm -hmm. I'm you know like we just talked about when you meet older musicians who really influence you, you, you can't put a price on that. So, yeah, so I, I enjoy, uh, I really enjoy master classes because mm -hmm. I feel like uh, I can be more of a coach. And, and I guess what I try to convey to the students is that you don't need that much talent. You just need a little talent and desire. And if you put in the work, you can achieve anything. And it's, you know, it's true, mm -hmm. you know, especially in my age now, I can totally see that. And so that's, I guess that's what I try to con convey the first thing is, is that just don't let anybody tell you that, you know, you can't do anything. At the same time, have, have specific goals and dreams and then have a plan to make those things happen. And mm -hmm. even if the plan doesn't work, make a new plan or maybe mm -hmm. you have to switch, you know, but always keep those kind of things in line. So that's what I try to uh, convey to kids, you know. And then as, you know, like teaching privately in the schools, it's a little deeper, you know, we get into, I, I don't really teach trumpet, you know, I teach improvisation is really what I teach. Um, um, and, uh, you know, we just study like Freddie Hubbard tunes, we, Tom Harrell tunes. I try to get like, I try to get them to play through all the classic tunes, like, mm -hmm. you know, D minor mint from Freddie, uh, you know, Blue Spirits, you know, they're off, they're hard kind of involved tunes that are off the beaten path, because that's what they should be studying. Mm -hmm. They should be, you know, they should, you know they're, they're going to get Donna Lee and all those other tunes at sessions, but, you know, if they, if they can get into like deeper songs with deeper harmonies and, 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 and realize that it's not, it's just a disguise for the same old thing every time, really. Mm -hmm. So that's that's kind of my angle because I play a lot of you know I practice piano every day so I'm kind of coming from that uh, perspective in a mm -hmm. way you know mm -hmm. yeah 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 I'm ready to take lessons with you no, 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 <laughs> that no, sounds no, like no, a great no. approach I love <laughs> it that's fantastic um, here's here's a, what I was, can I say something yeah, absolutely we we saw for Toshiko at the Village Gate and I knew about you already <clears throat> from her Besson because he and and. Uh, and I, you played, you you played a solo on number twenty because she always opened up twenty, and you played a solo and you played a cadenza, and I was like, wow, this cat's bad, man. Wow, <laughs> you know. And then I played a solo on the next tune, and you turned around, and you said, yeah, man, and I was like, oh. You know, that meant so much to me, man. And actually, we haven't really worked that much since, but that meant so much to me that oh, night, you know? Man. And you just turned around yeah, yeah, that was it. You just like, you know, yeah, like that, you know? And I was like, oh, yeah, you know? It was such a thrill, you know? Oh, <laughs> that was, uh, and it was 1991, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah, was yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah, well, yeah, you're yeah, very yeah. kind to say that. No, it was but, true, uh, man. But, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I was a fan instantly well, when I heard you, so <laughs> that's great. Um, could you... Uh, I'm trying to another one. I'm trying to phrase in the right way. Um, if you knowing what you know right now, and you were gonna, but you're a young person now, or in your early twenties or mid twenties, and you wanted to become a jazz musician, how would you approach this business? It's changed dramatically since we were in our twenties. Um, how would you? And I'm sure you'd advise your students on this as well. But how would you approach trying to build a career as a jazz musician now? Well, there are many compartments to go to it, I think, but the first one would be to make sure that your work ethic is online so 
on point. So, uh, you know, you'll be considered one of the best players of your generation, whether you're not or not, but at least you have, like in other words, your work ethic tells people around you that, oh, this cat's serious. I think that's the first thing. Mm. Because, you know, it's the gigs are not, are you know, so you have the good players are going to work, but, you know, okay. The second thing I would say is just network and, and, and get involved with people. Like, you know, if, if there's a club you want to play at, don't, don't ask the club owner for a gig right away. Just go there and hang out and maybe sit in. Mm -hmm. And let the guys let them see you, and then they also think, oh, and he, oh, he's also a serious musician too. Wow. Okay. So that you know, I think that's a good way. And and you know, like with musicians too, if there's musicians that you want to play with, you know, instead of just uh, you know right away trying to show them how good you are, you know, wait a minute and try to maybe you know uh, build a little relationship first and let them know that you're a good person and that you know you want to work and you have the right intentions. Other than that, I think you know, just go for it, you know. Mm -hmm. But as long as you're, as long as both things are kind of in line, you know, mm -hmm. I think you, you know, that would be my advice. But yeah. make sure the most important thing is to make sure you have your work ethic. If you're not already, if you're not, if you didn't come to town like Ryan Kaiser, or Greg Gisbert, then you need to have a work ethic, <laughs> yeah. or, or Nicholas Payton. Right, you right. Know, you know, if you got those going on, that's different. Then you should just, you know, be calling people up and tell them you need to work. <laughs> but you know, which they did and they they deserve it. You know, but you know. Yeah. yeah, no, that's a great, uh, great yeah. piece of advice, and I think uh, yeah. we had uh, Terrell Stafford was uh, on the show a couple of years ago, and he said uh, a similar thing. You know, be around, show up, let people see you. You don't have to push too much, but you're there, and no. they get to know you. They see that you're, you know, yeah. good dude, and then the playing comes after that. It's like uh, it's a, it can be a very organic experience. It takes you got to be patient, you know, but uh, as 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 is always the case, but. Uh, um, as we're kind of winding down a little bit, uh, what's your favorite CD that you've recorded as a leader? Mm. Well, um, Persistence is a good CD. Mm -hmm. That's one with Kenny and Peter and Gary Simoleon and Dave Hazeltine. Um, that's a good one, I think. I don't, you know, I think I'm a much better player now, but I think the sound of the CD is very good. Um, also, there's some good moments on Live at Smalls with Mulgrew. Um, although I think overall I don't I don't really play as well as I could have because it was a lot of pre you know it was, it was a but we did get some things on down that were good and uh, you know just to play with Mulgrew at, at the time his comping you know was just incredible man uh -huh. I, was, I I can't you know it's just so, I wish I could have played more with him and um, I think looking up with Steve Davis is another good one mm -hmm. yeah 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 yeah. yeah. We gotta check uh, check all of those out, all of them, but those three in particular. Yeah. I have to go online and check those out. And how about your favorite CDs as a, that you've played on as a sideman? I'm sure there's many, but there's some that jump out at you right away. Well, a couple of Dick Oates records are good. I think one's called Southpaw, and the last one that just came out, I forgot what it's called. Those are good. Uh, whew, I can't really. It's hard to remember. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I can't. It's hard to. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. I can't really like. Um, I don't know. I think the Oats records are good. I mean, as far as jazz, you know. And uh, oh well, I I did a couple records um, with. I, well, actually, I did a record with Ray Barreto when I was in that band for four years, three years. That's a good record. Uh -huh. You know, I did some arranging on that record. We got nominated for a Grammy. We did one of my tunes, and uh, that that's a good record. Yeah, you know, I thought you know it was good. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I mean, that's and we kind of didn't get 
get too into it today, but but your work as a writer is also a very important part of of what you do, right? I mean, you're yeah, no, you're I not, write, yeah, you know, I write too. So. I wouldn't, you know, I, I, you know, New York has heavy writers, you know. So I mean, but I do my little, you know, I have my little tunes, and I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to evolve. I mean, I I do practice a lot of piano, and I'm studying, and you know, I try to make my compositions evolve. I mean. Really, I would love to go through. Tom Harrell told me once. I'm a big Tom Harrell fan. Sure, I, I yeah, followed him around New York for years when in the early '90s, and uh, he's a big influence. Just you know, cause he's such a funny, nice cat. <laughs> you know, he has this thing, but it's not. It's really he's such a beautiful guy. And he told me once, which I think we all should think about, is that he t he he would write a tune every day. Really? Wow. And I, I think I need to go through that phase. That might, you know, I think that that would be a good phase to go through at, at some point soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's an yeah, aggressive, yeah. Uh, yeah. that's a good But I think, that, goal, I think when you, know? you do that, you really start to learn, like, you know, how you keep writing the same tune over and over again. Mm -hmm. And it forces you to try something different. Because I feel like with my tunes, I've written the same four tunes, like... <laughs> Yeah, I know what you mean. Seven or eight times, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. I'm sure that's not they the case. They keep it a little better, yeah. but it's the same formula. You would be like, oh, there it is. Oh, there it is. <laughs> I forget who it was. who was talking about Woody Shaw, and uh, I think it might have been Alex Sibiagin who said something like, well, he's playing the same solo all the time. It's the same stuff. And <laughs> not, I, know he, I know he was nah, half kidding, but uh, yeah. but I think that's just the nature of the beast. It, it, either from an improvisation standpoint or a composing standpoint, yeah. you're going to play what you're what you what you play and what you write, you know. I mean, do we? Uh, you know, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Do we really improvise? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think we do. Yeah. We improvise our off our own language. Right. But it's still stuff we know and then maybe five percent of the time you might come up with some of your own stuff but you know right i mean yeah. you don't you gotta yeah it's i, I think you're absolutely right and woody's uh, stuff was yeah freddie's wasn't too bad either yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well speaking of uh of uh projects as we wind down here um t tell us about what's coming up for you and and uh, in particular about the cd that's coming out in the fall that you mentioned. well uh i just had one released on steeplechase called magic trick and that's with andy fusco byron landrum uh ben wolf and and um john hart oh nice okay. that just came out a month ago and then i just did one with ralph moore for uh cory weed's uh cellar jazz and that's with anthony wanzi george flutus and desron douglas and we did the music of tad dameron that was mm. the the guy i guess whoever you know, financed it, wanted, wanted to have a CD of music of Tad Dameron. So that's what we did, and it'll be out in October. And uh, I think it's going to be good. We did it for a live audience in a, in a, at the Domena Center on 37th Street. Oh, yeah, Street. sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. And that was, that was a nice scene, man. Yeah. A nice big room, and the people kind of gave it. I like doing that. I think it's a good idea to invite people to the record date because you kind of get less into your own head in a way because mm -hmm. you have to worry about other people and I think that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I feel like I get more too much into like the, everything I do wrong is and then you, you get the feedback from the people in the audience that well maybe it wasn't so bad you know just keep going you know just yeah. keep playing you know. That's cool. Um, yeah. and in terms of your live work, you uh, you mentioned you have a steady Monday night that you're uh, doing when right I'm in town. Yeah, when I'm around, I do this Monday night thing now at uh, the 11th Street Bar. Okay. Um, originally, it was Charles Davis's gig, and I played with Charles for about 20 years. And uh, I used to sub for him, and and I used to sub for the trumpet player too. But then things happened. Charles passed away, so now it's me and Grant Stewart do it and um, do it every Monday 8 to 11, and that's a great great gig. A lot, of, you know, it's like a musician hang, and then mm -hmm. every Thursday I play at Mesro at eleven o'clock okay. with a trio. 
Nice. So I have the, you know, it's kind of my two steady gigs, and then you know other things. And then I'm, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be in Europe a lot this year, starting in July. I, I have uh, two or three weeks of my own under my own name, and then I'm playing with Jesse Davis for a week. Uh, Spike Wilner. I'm doing a week with the uh, um, Clayton Hamilton big band in Germany. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's yeah. a great band. Big yeah, fan yeah. of that. Yeah, band. I love I'm those guys. Oh, so much fun, man. That's awesome. And. Uh, so yeah, I got a lot of things going on starting in, in July. Like, we're, and I've been busy the last few months, but now May and June, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, I have a weekend at the Green Mill coming up uh, in Chicago. Uh, okay. Uh, June first and second, but then uh, after that, I'll just be practicing and waiting for my things to start in July. Yeah, nice. Well, I'm glad we were able to get you oh, today. Oh man, really a pleasure, Joe. And uh, Thank as, you so much. as I've been been a lifelong fan, and it will continue to be That's so. That's really nice for you to say. Well, I likewise, bro. I mean, you're you're way ahead of me, man. <laughs> Not at all. Well, I hope I uh, hope everybody enjoyed it as much as uh, I did today. It was so great spending some time with Mags and getting his insight and. Uh, and uh, keep an eye out for his uh, projects that are coming out. If you're in New York, go check him out on a Monday night or a Thursday night and uh, check him out when he's uh, out on tour as well. So hope you enjoyed it. We will see all of you next time on Bone to Pick.